everybody. This is Jackie here again with the Sexy Politico. Today I'm here with Ariel Martone. She is a doctor of physical therapy. She is a neuroclinical specialist, yoga teacher, certified pre and postnatal coach, and she's also a mom as well. And we're here today to talk about prenatal, postnatal care, and how basically social media has made me more anxious than I already am. <laughs> so uh, Ariel, can you tell my audience a little bit more about you and uh, that I'm not crazy for being more anxious after having my kids? Yeah, absolutely, Jackie. So first and foremost, you are not crazy and you are not alone. Far, far from it. Um, it often feels that way. Uh, I feel like postpartum is a very isolating time period. Even if you're seeking out support, it can still feel really lonely. Um, if you are, you know, still connecting with friends and family, I feel like if people aren't in that exact state at that time, we forget very quickly. Um, so if you're not in it day to day, it's, it's easy to not relate and um, that can make you feel more alone and isolated. So you are, you're far from crazy, far from alone. Uh, and that's kind of why I am doing what I'm doing. I too had a really challenging postpartum period with my second. Um, so I'm a, a mom of two, as you mentioned. Um, my son, I had, you know, what would be probably considered like the normal baby blues. Um, but for me, it did, it lasted for about three months of just really kind of self-doubting myself, having, um, you know, just being really insecure in my role as a mother and what I was doing. Um, I had a hard time having him. So I went through IVF. We then had to have an induction, an emergency C-section after like hours of labor and pushing. So like nothing went right or as planned. Um, and then because of that, I just was like, was I supposed to be a mom? Like nothing happened naturally. Um, but I, I would say I moved through that you know, relatively quickly uh, or so, so I thought. I think a lot of that I kind of just ended up pushing away and didn't deal with or address at the time. Um, and so with my daughter, my second, um, everything went a little smoother. I still had to do IVF, but I was able to have a VBAC, which I really wanted. Um, so our birthing process was, I'm going to put in quotes, better. Um, it, it was yeah. my I, more ideal. Um, you know, hindsight, looking back at my son, it was what needed to happen. And so, you know, I'm grateful that, that it was able to happen. Um, and she latched on right away. So our breastfeeding journey was, was seamless. Um, so all things seemed to line up. Yet with her, I ended up getting postpartum depression, um, I also had a lot of physical symptoms uh, with her. I had some pelvic pain um, that I needed to address as well. And they kind of, you know, compiled on each other as well as like everything from your past gets really resurfaced during the postpartum period. You know, you're triggered more easily because your, you know, your emotions are just more raw. Surface. Our, yeah. Our brain actually changes in the postpartum period, our amygdala becomes enlarged, and that really makes you more prone to being in um, like a hyper alert state. So kind of that more anxious state, you're, you're just more aware of what could go wrong. Um, and so there's, there's so many reasons why we feel the way that we do in postpartum. Um, 
but with her, I was surprised that I ended up having, you know, clinical postpartum depression. Um, because like I said, everything was, it seemed like it was a little bit smoother going into it. Um, so because of that, and because of needing to seek out the physical care, the emotional care, and feeling really, really isolated, really triggered, I also had postpartum rage with the postpartum depression. Um, so I feel like that- Nobody <laughs> that talks anger- about postpartum rage. Nobody, yes. they're like, oh yeah, postpartum depression exists, but nobody talks about rage. The, the, yeah, how easy it is to snap. Very, yeah, very easy. Um, the you know the simplest things can can set you off. Um, your your again, for, then three year old reasons. asking for a cookie four times like 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 it bubbles at you and you just start yelling at them for asking for a cookie and it's like I and know. then there's it's your not, spouse going. He can't reach the cookies. He needs a grown up to get the cookies. Like then you get the cookies for him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, my husband was uh, for sure the target of most of my postpartum rage. Uh, but unfortunately, my toddler got yelled at more than I would have liked him to initially as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not talked about, and it but it is common. Um, you know, we are whole people with the full range of emotions. And I feel like once we become a mother, we're expected to kind of turn that off. Um, and it's, you know, it's looked down upon you. Moms are supposed to be just very nurturing and maternal and sure. Yes, that, but also, you know, you're, you're still a whole person. You're going to get angry. Um, you know, especially when, you know, your, your needs are not maybe being met like they should be, um, but yeah, having that rage and some of that anger, I ended up turning into, a, you know, more passion for what I'm doing now because I was angry that I didn't feel, you know, and in, in hindsight, I, you know, I had some support, you know, and I, I knew where to look for support, but it still, it wasn't easy. Um, so I decided to take that and, you know, take my experiences and my, you know, professional roles and turn it into postpartum wellness. Um, you know, wellness for the whole person, mind and body, because it's so interconnected always, but especially in postpartum, because everything changes, you know, our, our roles change. So how society sees us changes, our bodies physically change, and they take longer to get back to, quote unquote, what our body was before, you know, if ever, um, than what we expect and our, our brains change, our hormones are changed, like everything changes. Um, so unless we're dealing with all of that and addressing all of that and making space for all of that, we can get stuck in certain places and whether that's getting stuck in some of the anxiety or depression or the, the periods of rage and outbursts of, you know, being triggered by our toddlers. Toddlers are really, really great at bringing up all of your, um, you know, your past triggers or your self-doubts. They test every limit. Um, But unless we're taking care of ourselves, it's going to be harder. I'm sorry, it will be easier to snap at them and harder to give them the space that they need. Uh, And I found for myself personally, like the way that I was talking to myself reflected onto my kids and, and, you know, not my baby at the moment, but more so my toddler at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, that's when I, I was like, Oh my God. I noticed, I noticed my toddler 
apologizing for like things that you're sitting there going you don't need to be apologizing that you knocked over your own blocks yeah and then like I'm doing something here he's apologizing for knocking over his own blocks or dropping a marker on the ground yeah I need to deal with me yeah he thinks I'm gonna be mad Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and that's for me that was one of the the moments um I had spilt milk when I was getting him you know getting my son some and my inner dialogue was so mean and I was like oh my gosh like I shouldn't be you know it was with expletives like how could you do this you know oh god you made such a mess and this is to myself but then you you know you realize that what you say to yourself is often how you talk to your kids and chances are you don't want to talk to your kids like that and you definitely don't want to talk to yourself like that Um, but it's it's really hard in that postpartum period when you're just so emotionally drained, physically drained. Um, if you're not making time and starting to, you know, awareness is kind of the, the key and identifying like that's, you know, the first step uh, in my process is really identifying what's going on. So what are your triggers? What's, how is your body healing? Um, and, you know, noticing that first, because from there, once you have awareness, once you understand what's going on, then you can make changes. And by no means is this, you know, about being perfect or being a perfectionist. In in fact, it's very much the opposite. The more I tried to be a perfect mother, I was reading everything on how to, you know, raise my child, again, in quotes, correctly, and how to best support their sleep and just all of the things. And the more that I dove into all of that, the more it makes you feel like crap, like a failure. Yeah. Yeah. The more I was like, I'm never going to live up to this ever. Uh, And so the more that I kind of gave up on that, you know, I, there's definitely been some nuggets that I've learned. I don't want to dismiss all of the information out there as bad. I do think that there is a lot of bad information out there and misinformation is especially around sleep. Um, But the more that I kind of got to know myself again and got to take care of myself, trust myself more, trust my instincts a little bit more, the easier it became. And again, no, by no means perfect. I still, you know, I think I've come a long way. I still yell from time to time but I re- I'm realizing it sooner. I'm able to then change it sooner and you can always, always repair. So then, you know, I'll give myself a moment. I'm more conscious and able to step away, give myself that, that room to breathe, do what I need to do, and then come back and model it to my kids. And, you know, my daughter is 18 months now, so she's able to pick up on, on this as well. And, you know, you model that repair, you mo- model, like, I was really frustrated because of these reasons. That's no, you know, doesn't, make it okay how I acted, but this is what's going on. This is what I'm going to try to do next time. And you just, you know, we, you just treat your kids like people, you know, and you just, that it's okay to apologize to your kids. Yes. Nothing wrong with apologizing to your kids. No, but so do you think that, you know, there's this, I don't know. We have wine mom culture 
And then back in the 50s and 60s, you had the like, moms on Prozac. Wonder mm. if it's like we replaced Prozac with wine as opposed to <sighs> as a way to just numb and just numb yourself and just be able to do the job and try not to complain because hey at least you got your big old bottle of merlot or chardonnay or whatever your drink of choice is yeah i so i feel like and we we spoke about this a little bit before we started recording about you know what we see online and in social media and i feel like there's there's almost these two narratives out there and the one is that perfect mom everything's going you know you need to be this way and you need to be that 100% attached parent and your kids are always doing these quiet activities yeah. that you've planned and set up for them and you know everything is wonderful and your house is always clean your kitchen looks great and you're just like so happy and so just overjoyed all the time and then there's this other narrative that is quite the opposite which is more of that you know mom wine culture of like everything is a shit show and everything is a disaster my kids are wild and I mean I say my kids are wild but I I say it with I love that they're wild I think kids are supposed to be wild um but that like they're annoying or overwhelming and the only way to get through it is with some type of you know numbing out um and I think there's so much in between like so much in between uh, and you're going to have, you know, you're going to have both days and then that's okay. And to, you know, to not put yourself in a box or to, you know, feel like you need to define yourself as like one type of mom or another. I feel like we are so prone to labeling ourselves oh in our society and defining gosh. ourselves in particular ways, whether it's by what you Crunchy do. mom. Mm -hmm. you've got the crunchy mom the the fisher price mom the beige mom what, yeah. what else have i seen oh god i've seen a yeah. few others but those are the ones that just stick out to my head and i'm sitting there going i guess i'm a fisher price oh and then of course there's wine <laughs> do mom, i have to pick wine yeah. mom boy mom yeah apparently now boy mom is a bad thing because because it, <laughs> it if you have if you say i'm a boy mom that means you're going to be like that really weird mother-in-law that thinks that you're that whoever your son's married is never going to be good enough and i'm like i'm a boy mom because i'm a mom of because i boys. have boys <laughs> i have two boys and no girls and i'm not planning on having more kids yeah so wouldn't no, that just I make know. me a boy mom by default <laughs> yes uh i i've seen i think it's more like when they're like oh this is the slowest breakup of your life type of thing where the, where that oh, might I get into crazy that. And it's like that might get into crazy mother-in-law territory in the future but i don't know <laughs> I no but we'll find out but i feel like when we when we as when people who have when people have children they see social media which is supposed to be real people going through parenting and of course we always forget that you only show the high, highlight reel. And then you see mm -hmm. celebrities who are like two months after having a baby, they look they look just like themselves. And, I, and I'm just like, how are we supposed to, why do we feel like we need to compare ourselves to people that either are very good at editing or 
hire people to take care of their physical bodies and may or may not have other mental issues going on that we don't know about. Yeah. I know. Because you look at celebrity bounce back culture, they pay good money for people to help them get their bodies back in shape. But we don't know what's going on behind the, behind the brain. Yeah, and you have, you have to always, you have to always think again about the whole person and then at what cost? Like, can you get your body back? Sure, to a point, but at what cost? And are you doing it in a way that is, that is going to be sustainable for you as a whole person? Um, you know, because look at how you get your body back. There's, you know, sure, several ways and people either do it by kind of crash dieting right after, um, which is going to lead to, if you're trying to breastfeed, it's going to make it really challenging to support your supply because you need, my you know, mother was forced to crash diet after having my sister because she was in the military at the time. Uh, and of course, that lifestyle would never have in 1983 supported her breastfeeding at all. So she was just no. convinced she couldn't breastfeed. But she had to lose like 60 pounds in 30 days. Yeah, that's, that seems almost impossible. Like I can't even pills. imagine the stress. She told um, me, it was, she told me she took diet pills and didn't yeah. eat anything basically. Yeah. And so then how does that affect your, your mental health? Um, you know, and as, as you mentioned it, she wasn't able to breastfeed then because of it. And if that was something that she wanted, I know that the eighties was a different time where they were still very much promoting, um, you know, formula first, uh, and people who did breastfeed, it was usually a very short amount of time, um, that they did. But yeah, if you're, if you're crash dieting like that, you're likely not going to be able to breastfeed if that's something that you want to do. But also like, if that's not what you want to do, it's still going to affect you. Your body's still recovering and healing and your body needs more calories for that your hormones are changing and fluctuating. And if you are crash dieting and not supporting your hormones, you're, they're going to be way off. Um, and you can end up having more issues that way. And, you know, just, you're going to feel more exhausted at a time where you're already likely feeling exhausted. Um, so it really compounds a lot of negative effects. And when, you know, then when you're more exhausted, you're going to, you're likely going to be more anxious or more depressed, you know, if you're, if you're feeling either of those things, when you're fatigued and tired, it makes that worse. Um, so yeah, it's, it's less than ideal in my, in my opinion, it's less than well, ideal. It's, it wasn't <laughs> ideal, but it was, it, it was what she had to deal with in 1983. And think, I mean, at that point, she said she got one month off after having my sister and it's not much better now they get six weeks off after having a baby it, if you are a woman in the military it's okay and I'm sitting there going it's 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 like those Oklahoma senate male Oklahoma senators who are calling maternity leave a vacation and I'm just sitting there going I would yeah. like you to either have a child ripped out of your stomach or ripped out of your other parts and call it a vacation while that those parts of your body are healing. Yeah. I, so I remember 
because even have people don't even realize after having i had two c-sections and it's like after having c-sections you're still in pain you're still bleeding you're and you're dealing that's major surgery it's not yeah that's it's what not, I it is a major surgery it's major surgery you're that. not taking the easy way out i my my oldest it was an emergency c-section after being induced and i nearly died because i didn't have my ob in there because one month before i was supposed to give birth i had to switch hospitals yay and my OB did not have admitting privileges at the new hospital I could go to, but he had to just stand there and watch. I loved my OB with my older son, by the way. And he was like, he kept telling the doctor who had privileges, you should do this. You should do this. You should check on this. And they're like, oh no, it's fine. You're 20 years younger than me. And I nearly died because they didn't uh, listen to my OB. Yeah, that is, that is so tough. It is yeah, having a C-section absolutely is a major surgery that people seem to kind of gloss over. And yes, they they think that it is having the easy way out. There can be a lot of guilt and shame around it. I, know I had I a lot of guilt initially. and shame around having mm -hmm. a C-section with my oldest son because I I I wanted I wanted the you know the fairy tales and roses of pushing him out and be feeling like a real mom like I was crying to my husband like I'm not a real mom I didn't push him out he's like he's like four letter word that <laughs> you nearly died giving birth to our son if that doesn't make you a mother then I don't know what else does <laughs> no but it, it so it, it stems from what our expectations are our expectations around our you know our birth plan uh, I think everyone should have a birth plan, but I think you need to go into it knowing that it's more of like gentle guidelines than, than how it's going to be. And, and being flexible with that is the best thing that you can do for yourself. It's still, you know, I was fairly flexible with mine and I also I really loved my OB. Um, so I trusted her when, when we got to that point of like, okay, this is, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to have the C-section. I did really trust her and I knew I was in good hands. It didn't make the decision any easier. Yeah. FMLA, I hate it. My, so I, I'm a stay at home mom with my kids and with my eldest, he was born, my husband works as a contractor for a school company for, for a, for the schools. And so as my eldest, he was, he was born in the summertime. So my husband was home for a couple of months with, with him before he had to go back to work. But with my, with my baby, he was born three weeks early in, in December. Mm. So my husband was having to take meetings in the hospital. <laughs> my husband, Same. like literally I, you know, after having a C-section, you can't drive and I'm supposed to be taking my son to these, you know, po these doctor's appointments. And I'm like, hold on, <laughs> how do, how am I supposed to do this? And at, yeah. that point, at that point, so I had like, I had like a plan that my son decided to come three weeks early and mess up the plan. My sister was going to come but my sister doesn't drive. So my dad was, so like she had plane tickets and it was like, we had a plan. Yes, <laughs> best, best laid babies plans. Don't plans to, babies don't listen to plans. They do not, no. 
But, nope, and they that don't. Was, like it was, it was bad because I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And my husband, my husband had to work. Yeah, my so when I had my C-section as well, um, I ended up I had a lot of blood loss, um, and they kept me in like the full, I think it was five days that I was at the hospital. But one of the days, I think it was like the second or the third day, my husband had to leave to go into work for a bunch, forget what exactly it was, if it was meetings or he had already had, um, he, he's a veterinary surgeon. So if he already had uh, surgery scheduled, because again, my son at that point, he went, was a week late and I had to be induced at 41 weeks. So again, best laid plans because he had taken off a few days prior but he didn't you know he didn't take off a full like two or three weeks or anything like that I think he took off a week around the the due date time um so yeah so I was just in the hospital by myself which was fine because in the hospital you have there's support you have there, nurses but I was like, and other help yeah yeah like but that. I was like oh really <laughs> what um but yeah I same you're not technically supposed to drive especially if you're on any any pain meds um I ended up only um, really needing to be on Tylenol after the C-section. I had a really pretty good recovery from mine. I was, I was lucky. Um, but again, I, I loved my OB and I think she did a phenomenal job um, with the, with the surgery and the procedure. And I think that that helped with my recovery. Um, and I also being a physical therapist, I knew what to do because as we said before, a C-section is a major, major abdominal surgery, and you don't receive any PT aftercare in the you hospital, which I'm as a PT myself, I'm like, wait a second. I did some time in acute care, you know, which is working in a hospital, and pretty much any surgery that anyone has, just about, you go in and you see them, you make sure they're getting up okay. But that, you know, that doesn't happen on the maternity ward. Yeah, there's, you know, there's nurses there to help you get to the bathroom if you need it. Um, but other than that, there, you don't have that person coming in being like, okay, so this is how you should get out of bed. Um, this is how you should brace your incision so that you're more comfortable and can move more e easily. And you should try to be walking around a couple times you know, a day to get blood flowing to help with with the recovery process. You don't have any of that, um, which is kind of shocking. Um, but I, and I feel like because I knew what to do, it did help my recovery. Uh, but then I, you know, took myself to doctor's appointments that may, for my son that maybe I shouldn't have been doing on my own at that time. I was just like, uh, having again, my, as mom, you have to do it. Home. Yeah, I was having to call my mother-in-law who was the only person I knew who had had c-sections and was like is it normal for it to be itchy and she's like remember yeah. I had my kids 30 years ago but it's still itchy to it's still itchy sometimes for me. I'm like I'm like yeah okay so it's not weird and then I'm like I'm like like even to this day I'm sitting going they probably should see a physical therapist for for my core muscles like I feel like I still feel like nobody tells you that like how your muscles like your stomach muscles and your back muscles just feel shot after having after having c-sec I probably kids in general but I don't know about having vaginal deliveries so I just know about me and my c-sections 
Yeah. So, and well, your pelvic floor, the muscles change as well, regardless of if you've had a vaginal birth or a C-section um, birth, because you're carrying your baby for nine months and, you know, the first few months, there's not a ton of extra weight and right. pressure on it, but as your baby grows and as your pelvis shifts, because, you know, with our hormones, the relaxing kind of loosens up the ligaments. It allows our pelvis to expand, to get wider, to make room for the baby. But so our pelvis, our, our bones are separating a little bit more than what they were. That changes the, the length tension relationship of the muscles. And then they're, they're having to support all this extra pressure of the baby and the placenta, the water weight, all of that. So they're doing more work at this stretched out length. Um, so and then I have regardless giant of babies. if you have, I had yeah. giant babies, my kids were both one, my eldest was nine pounds born at 41 weeks. And my youngest was eight pounds born at 37 weeks. You're like, I'm glad you came a little early. <laughs> I literally went to my doctor's appointment and they're like, do you realize you're contracting five minutes apart right now? I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just thought I was running out of breath because I have a giant baby. <laughs> no, yeah. So yeah, so all that pressure on those muscles, again, whether you are pushing your baby out, because it's not the pelvic floor muscles that are doing the pushing, it's it's your uterus itself that's that's pushing the baby out. The the muscles are supposed to be relaxing to let the baby pass through. But they need to recover. They need to kind of regain their proper length tension relationship. And they're going to need to do um, some strengthening. But often before that, they're going to need to be, um, you know, work on the, on the tension and the tightness of the muscles. Because afterwards, they tend to get really tight. Again, regardless of if you've had a, a vaginal delivery or a cesarean delivery. Um, but yeah, so ap absolutely. And then there's, you know, if you've had the C-section, there's scarring that occurs and the degree of scarring can vary. Um, so doing like scar massage or even as you mentioned, like the area being itchy. So itchy is, is really normal whenever tissue is healing, um, incisions tend to get itchy and you want to avoid scratching as much as you can. So like gently, gently rubbing the area around it, but not scratching over the incision, um, which can feel really hard because it's really, can be really irritating. Um, but then afterwards, so as the incision starts to heal and is fully closed, you want to start doing some scar massage to the area. And with a C-section, you can usually start between six and eight weeks that um, superficial incision over, you know, what you're seeing is usually pretty much healed. Um, so you can start doing gentle scar massage there, but you do want to wait to do like deeper scar massage, which just really means a lot more pressure um, because there, you know, you've had multiple five layers. layers I, of, think yeah. is, I think it's five layers when I, when I was told. Yeah. Yep. Cause there, there's the, you know, the skin layer, there's, you know, going through all the muscles and there's going through the uterus itself. So all of that, that, you know, there's incision throughout the whole, the whole thing. Um, and that all needs to heal, but those are all areas that scar tissue can develop. Um, so if you want it, you want to wait to closer to like 10 to 12 weeks to do a lot deeper scar massage, just to affect the deeper layers. Um, but that can help with 
symptoms that you might be experiencing later on. Um, I feel like a lot of a lot of our like women's health issues that happen after childbirth are very much kind of like normalized and that becomes part of the expectation um, of like, oh, you might just, you're going to feel weaker and, you're but it can, it can also yourself. be, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like you could, you may leak when you're laughing or sneezing or God forbid you're jumping on a trampoline with your kids. Like you're going to pee your pants. Like, no, that doesn't have to be your story. Like that's, it's very common, but it's not normal. And if you actually, you know, seek out the support that you need and, and really rehabilitate and allow your body to heal and then recover because we have to heal first as we're recovering, right? We can't just jump into, and like going into the bounce back culture, you know, if you're not dieting, you're often, you might be jumping into exercise too soon or uh, not the right exercises too soon. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a runner and I, I love it. It's a big part of my like mental clarity and sanity and I can do it with my kids, which is great, but you need to wait at least 12 weeks. And a lot of times people will try to start doing it sooner than later. And, you know, well, I mean, sometimes it, your doctor's telling you, you can, you can, you can have intercourse at six weeks. Why can't you go for a run if you can have intercourse at six weeks? Right. Well, you're usually, you're usually given the go ahead. You're cleared for everything at six weeks, which really is more like if you've had any incisions, they're looking at that. And same if you've had a vaginal delivery and you've had any tearing or, um, or if they did like an episiotomy on purpose, making sure that that's healed, making sure your uterus is, is close to being back to its normal size. That usually takes about six weeks for your uterus to shrink down. And then once your uterus is back to its normal size, typically the, um, the wound from your placenta should be healed at that point too. And, you know, there's more evidence now that that might be healed sooner than the six week point, but don't, but don't, don't jump start. into anything earlier because of it, um, because there's still so much going on and your, you know, all of your organs shift as your baby grows. So just because your placenta, I'm sorry, just because your uterus has shrunk back down to its normal size, doesn't mean that all of your organs like are all shifted back into your stomach are going to drop. <laughs> Yeah, that can, that can take longer. That can take up to 12 weeks for everything to kind of reshift back to where it was. Um, so really anywhere between the six and 12 week mark is when that happens. And a lot of women have separation of their abdominal muscles early on. And that can take about 12 weeks to start to close up. If it's going to happen on its own, it doesn't always happen on its own though. And then you might need to start doing you know, more work to address that as well, because as you mentioned before, you know, your back muscles, your abdominal muscles, it's, that's all connected and it's all connected to your pelvic floor. And that's really your core and your foundation to support all of your movement, um, for everything that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, eventually I did get my sister to come we figured out the flights and got my sister down a couple of days after I gave birth to my son. But it was like, if I didn't have her, I had a three-year-old who, you know, is still a human being who wants to be cuddled and is confused by this new human that is in his house. Yeah. It's like, and you're told not to lift anything larger than 10 pounds. And my son grew so fast after he was born. He was, he was close to 10 pounds at two months old. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, you're not supposed to lift anything over 10 pounds, but also. But you also got this 30 pound toddler as well, who is like, who you're like, I can't lift you. Yeah, bull honky. Yeah. Well, yeah, toddler aside, yeah, put your baby in the baby carrier and that's likely over 10 pounds, but you're expected to lug that out to all of your baby visits. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very early on. So. It's everything feels very contradictory. And I think this is why, why being a mom is so confusing and you feel like you don't, especially in this day and age where we are being, where we are constantly being fed information about all of our, all of our, with abortion rights and everything else. And you feel like your body isn't really yours when you don't know how to take care of it nobody tells you how to take care of your reproductive health because that's gross or scary or you think that it's going to turn women into sexual creatures too early on or things of that nature and i just i wish that we are that we were told the truth that we need time to recover that we need paternity and maternity leave because if you have a wife who's a stay-at-home mother, somebody needs to help take care of the kids. Yeah. Especially if she gives if she gives birth and you are the breadwinner, but who's gonna take care of the kids while she's recovering for even even six weeks? Is there a magic fairy? We don't live in a world anymore where you have where you have a village to help you. No. And honestly, we haven't lived in that world in a while and not and we haven't caught up you know we have to as as women and as mothers we have to create our own villages which it is you know at this point it is what it is but it's it's not fair <laughs> but you need to start seeking out your support and your care because we we don't live in that world where where we have all this external support at our fingertips and and ready to care for the mother and care for the child. And I feel like until we really start caring for the mother in postpartum, we really can't care for the child as well as we could or as well as we should. Um, because you know our mental health and our physical health are, you know, our just our well-being in general is reflected onto our babies. Their their nervous systems, their brains are still very much developing. And they gain a lot of that from us. They start to, you know, regulate their bodies, even even their body temperature from us initially. Um, you know, placing placing your baby on your chest, that skin to skin time has so many benefits. And one of them is helping to regulate the body temperature because since our breasts are highly vascularized, they can change temperatures by a couple of degrees to help the baby adjust. So if the baby is a little bit warm, we will start to cool down at our chest area to help take that heat from the baby and vice versa. If baby's a little bit cool, we'll, you know, blood flow will increase the area, warm up our chest area to help warm the baby up. Um, so, you know, we are so connected to our babies early on and in a culture and society that's very much like pushed for independence right away and, push for baby to be sleeping right away for very, you know, by themselves, it, it's kind of counterintuitive to what's actually happening. And same to your point of, you know, the, the physical and emotional healing that, that, that needs to happen 
postpartum, it, we have this push to bounce back, whether it's bouncing your body back, bouncing back into your roles, whether it's getting right back into work it, at four to six weeks, that, you know, is what some moms take and some, you know, there are some who take less. I know. It's insane. I can't, I can't imagine the thought of it. You're still bleeding and having to go back to work. I, I think I was bleeding for almost a month after having, after having my kids. Yeah. With me, it was, I was eight weeks uh, after my daughter. And I think it was right around the six weeks after my son. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a long time. Yeah. And that's because, you know, your body's feeling through all that time. C-section, I, I, like, there were people who didn't believe me that you, that you bled after having a C-section. Yeah. Yeah. Our body's still, you know, we still have to do that. And, you know, regardless of how the baby comes out, the placenta is still detached and, you know, that blood needs to go somewhere. So. Yeah. You don't want it to stay. No, no, you do not. No. But what would, how could we in American society help women, help women more postpartum as just as friends, because that's really all we can do as friends. And then maybe as family who have time and space. Yeah. So I think it's a great question because, you know, we've, we've touched on it before. I feel like we need bigger changes, but those changes start with us first. Um, and so absolutely supporting your friend who's just had a baby. A great thing I think is bringing over a meal, something that you know that they're going to like without even asking, don't ask, don't ask, what can I do for you? Because that mom is already two things. That mom is already overwhelmed and doesn't want to have to think about making another decision. And also that mom doesn't want to ask for help because she doesn't want to admit that she needs it. And she does. And it's okay to need help. It's more than okay to need help because we weren't meant to do it alone. We were meant to have that support and that village and allow for that time for nurturing and for healing. Um, so don't ask what you can do. Just pop over with a meal. Don't plan on staying yourself. Um, something that's frozen is, is great. I think that is, you know, one of the biggest things for me, that was always the hardest thing early on too, is, you know, going back to, you want to feel nourished. You want to have that warm meal cooking for yourself, especially if you're home by yourself and you have your baby or multiple children and, and your partner is either at work or you don't have one. It can be really daunting to make meals for yourself early on um, or, or for your family. Um, so I feel like that's always a really good and easy thing to do. Um, there's also a bunch of companies that you can send, you know, prepackaged frozen meals. You can mail them to, to that person if you don't live nearby. Um, if you do live nearby, coming over and just, you know, say, hey, I, you know, I'm here for the laundry or I'm here to straighten up or, or, I'm going to take your other kid out for ice cream or whatever, just something. And just, just say what you're going to do and then do it. Because again, that, that, and of course it's going to depend on your relationship with the person. Well, yeah, right? I'm not going to let, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to let someone who's popping over your neighbor's house that you like met once or twice and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take your, your kid, kid out. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have, if you have a good relationship with that person, just, you know, doing those little gestures can be really helpful because it, 
it gives permission to ask for support without having to ask. And then as you get more accustomed, as the mother, as you get more accustomed to having some support, hopefully you're more likely to start asking for what you need as well, which I think is really helpful, um, but can be a process. Is there anything that we could do legislatively or that we should we should advocate for legislatively to help mothers in any way shape or form oh this is a good question and i i wish i had a better answer i think you know working Real on maternity and paternity yeah. leaves, uh, is, yeah, exactly. is number one Real, is like, absolutely what at, i would I, think of at a bare minimum i think everybody needs three months oh my gosh bare, that would be huge bare minimum and i think but i think we need to do it in a way that that makes sense like Clearly just saying that the mom needs more support and needs more time to heal is not getting anybody's attention, right? Like that sounds great. It is true. It is needed. But also like when a mom has that time to one bond with her baby, to take care of herself so she can bond with her baby, to figure out is she experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety? Because it doesn't necessarily happen within those first three to six weeks, it can happen, you know, really up until that, that whole first year, you can start yeah. to get um, symptoms of it or, or diagnosed with it. It's not necessarily a right away thing. And does that bouncing back contribute to it? I think that that would be a great place for more research. In in my opinion, I feel like that is part of it. Um, but, you know, so, so pushing for it in a way that you know, once you are able to take care of yourself and you're able to trust yourself and you're able to make your decisions more confidently and go into it without all the self-doubt and the mom guilt and all of that, when you do go back into the workforce, you're likely going to be more productive because you're more focused and you're more confident in your decisions and in your choices. So you're able to actually be there doing what you need to do. Uh, which is only going to have benefits for the co those companies. Uh, and then when you're home, you're going to, again, be, be able to present. be more present. Um, so I, I feel like we need better research first. So that way, when we go to push for the legislation, we can, we can be like, these are like the real reasons why, because I feel like there are tremendous benefits to better maternity, you know, maternity care and support that will ultimately so as a physical therapist i am a huge proponent of prevention and you know i feel like this is a fight that physical therapists are constantly on is like prevention is key in so many areas and and doing like the least invasive work first like not jumping to surgery right away because a lot of times outcomes can be better and eventually save money and so if you want to bring it back to that money piece because then people will listen um, you know, think about the money that you're going to be saving later on, because all of these other issues aren't going to necessarily resurface um, when we are actually able to have the care that we need. Um, so I, I feel like it starts with having more research and more funding to support research for better maternal care and better maternal health to then go back and push for things like longer um, maternity leave and better support that way.
well part of the problem in this country as opposed to other countries is and we're speaking from the united states is that our maternity care is paid for by the companies that we work for as opposed to mm -hmm. the federal government and that is the big problem that companies don't want to pay out shill out that money for maternity leave and so the federal government really needs to be coming in and stepping in what do you think is the is the one thing that every that every woman or birthing person needs to hear right after they give birth and they are just in that post baby cloud what do they need to hear uh, i i feel like there are so many things that they need to hear i feel like the first thing is you are not alone in in what you are feeling what you are feeling is real and valid whatever it might be whether it's you know feeling a little bit disconnected from your baby or from yourself um that that those feelings are valid and they are real and you are not alone in that and that if you need support it is more than okay to seek support and to seek help in whichever way that is possible for you whether it's reaching out to your community or you know asking for your partner for for some more help if it's you know looking into and getting physical therapy getting counseling getting coaching whatever you are able to obtain for yourself uh, and of course that's going to vary on you know on your resources both community support wise and both financially um, but seeking the support that you are able to gather for yourself uh, in whatever way that you can is there anything that you need you would like to share with our audience do you have any you have a website or any place that people could go to to learn learn more or speak with you or connect with you yeah absolutely so um you can find me on instagram at ariel martone it's just my name there um, i also have my website is www.findyourwaymama.com um, and on there on my website i have information about my eight-week coaching program which is the postpartum revolution to really kind of blend the healing that's needed both physically emotionally mentally to get you into a better state um, and um, because i feel really passionate about helping mothers you know worldwide um, offering you the support that you get but also you know 10 percent of proceeds are going to be going to um, organizations to help mothers around the world that's that's amazing well thank you very much for being on the sexy politico and I look Thank forward you for to having me. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you all next again next week. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>